Erev Tov. We are in our Shiur on Agadatah, and we are in the middle of the Ben Ishchai and his understanding of the first Mishnah and Masechet Barachot. Last week we dabbled in some things that we were a little bit beyond my pay grade, but we did them anyways to show you the, the other side of Agadah, how Agadah can be studied. And I believe it was last week, not two weeks ago, I quoted to you a Hasidic teaching from Rabbi Zushav Anapoli regarding Me'ematai Korin et Shema Ba'aravin. From when do we read Shema in the evening? Me'ematai, he said, was Me'ematia, from the awe of Hashem. We're out of awe to Hashem, and that's how we read the Kirat Shema at night. I mentioned to you, there's a classic type of Hasidic teaching, which is to take a, a word of our Chachamim and to say something else from it that may be accurate, but not necessarily the intention of that piece of Mishnah or Talmud that they are quoting. While I was preparing today's shiur, I came across a chida in the Petach Enaim. So let's talk for a moment about the Chida. I mentioned to you the other week about this book, Chomat Anach, uh, which was his book that he printed in the, you know, near the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And he called it the upright book of the Torah. The Chida is a fascinating personality, one that I recommend you research. Uh, he comes with many names. Oftentimes people quote just one of them, or, or all of them, or some of them. Everyone quotes them in a different order. I think the name Chida pretty much standardized that it should go in the order Rabbi Chaim Yosef David Azulai, otherwise known by his acronym as Chida, or in some circles, Harav Chida. The Chida, Alav Shalom, was a prolific author, wrote dozens and dozens of books. Not so many years ago, I managed to get my hands on an out-of-print set, I think has recently now been put in print again. Doesn't mean it's a nice print, but it's a print nonetheless of all of the writings of the Chida, Baruch Hashem, they take up two and a half bookshelves on my uh, shelf, so it's almost half a bookcase. You're talking about before copy and paste, and before Google, and before searching for things, and before uh, the ability to write drafts and rough drafts and edit them and change them. This is, uh, I think it's something like 54 or 57 works, but complete works, all of them Chidushim, all of them novel ideas, spanning from the commentaries on the Tanakh to Mishnah, to Talmud, to commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, derashot, speeches given on different parts of the Torah, books on Kabbalah, books on Musar, books on all kinds of things. Uh, it's a, a fascinating library, treasury of Torah uh, that our Chachamim were very much connected to. Harav Peretz calls the books of the Chida very precious works, works that every Jewish home should have. Uh, and I quoted to you from one of his writings recently, I don't remember where it was, which you from his book Shem HaGidonim, which is an encyclopedia of books, I'll tell you when I quoted it, probably in my shiur in the United Kingdom um, that I taught last week. It's a book of encyclopedia of Torah personalities. So were you in this shiur? Did, did you hear about the Shem HaGidonim? No, Shem HaGidonim, the first edition that I bought when I was in high school was two volumes. And then I later came to Israel and I upgraded to two big volumes with commentaries. And when I got the, my latest copy of the Shem, so I own three different copies of Shem Gedolim. Uh, Shem Gedolim, the third edition that I have are four volumes. So somehow the book that started with two little ones became two big ones to four ones. That's what we bless a child of the Brit Milah. Zakatan, this little one, Gadol will be very big. 
so this book, the same thing happened to it. Uh, was started off small, and then it became very big. The book Shema Gedolim is unique. There are legends that the Chida wrote it while he was in prison. He wrote it a very, overnight. Minastam, he did not write this book overnight, but he did write it in a very short amount of time. It could be a month. Uh, it's an encyclopedia consisting of two halves. One half, Ma'arichet Svarim, and one Ma'arichet Sofrim. Entries on rabbis and rabbinic personalities, and entries on rabbinic books and those, uh, the names of those books. So let's give you an example, correct? What's the name of the commentary of Rashi on the Torah? Anybody? Min Hastam, you don't know either. So because of that, when you want to look up anything about Rashi, you're not going to look in the half of the book that lists people by their names uh, of their books. You're going to look on the half of the book that lists them by their own names. You're going to go to either the letter Shin for Shlomo, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, or the letter Yod for Yitzchaki, and you're going to look up for Rashi. You're obviously not going to go with Resh. Why not with Resh? Right, because uh, it's an acronym, Baruch, and my wife, my, my mother's right. Uh, Rashi is uh, Resh, starts with the Resh because the rabbi. So every rabbi in the book is going to start with the Resh. That would be useless to put a, a, a to Z index on the, everybody's name starts with R. So Resh, you're not going to look under. You're going to find about Rashi. And if there's something else, he'll tell you, look up in the other half of my book, something I wrote about him over there. Uh, other rabbis, that might be different than that. You might know a rabbi. Uh, by the name of the Levush, but that's not his name, that's the name of his book, and still what you would do is look up in the book part of the, of the encyclopedia under Lamed, find Levush, and then you'll be sent to the right place of where to look up these personalities. Some have pointed out that there are some historically inaccurate things written in the Shem HaGadolim of the Chinah, and I'll tell it to you like this, if you, I were to write any book in 30 days, even a year, even three years, of course there'll be inaccuracies in that book, there too, how much can you expect? The knowledge that we have in terms of, of breadth, scope, the ability to, to prove historical events based on other manuscripts of other places wasn't available to the Chida. The Chida did all of this on his own with no computers, with an encyclopedic memory. The Chida spent many years of his life traveling from city to city, very often in Ashkenaz. And the Chida has a very warm reputation in Ashkenaz. I once told my wife's family, you guys love the Chida so much, but you would never marry his children. Uh, the Chida is a, a big rabbi by the Hasidim especially. Uh, the Chida spent so much time in other people's libraries that he took all of that information and he wrote it down. Every rabbi's name he ever came across. Anything he ever read about that rabbi in someone else's writings. Any book that he ever saw in handwritten form, in manuscript form, in printed form, which editions, which years they were printed, who printed them, he did all of this from his own memory. Without any books to look into, no references, no library. He did it on his own, alone. Probably while he was traveling, or if not traveling, then when he was in prison, like the story goes. This is what he did. So if there is a mistake here or there, we can forgive the Chidah. There are many commentaries that have been written on the Shem HaGadunim of the Chida, which come to fix or fill in the blanks of those things. Uh, there are some very powerful things. An entry, if you ever get your hands on the Shem HaGadunim. I think there's an entry there under the name Rabbi Avraham Mocher Yirakot. Rabbi Avraham, the vegetable seller. 
story about a certain Rabbi Avraham, who was an Ashkenaz, I believe, who was known as the local grocer. He's had a little vegetable shop on the street corner. And when a certain Chacham passed away, they wanted to appoint him as the next chief rabbi of the city. No, he's not a chief rabbi, I'm just a vegetable grocer. And it turns out he was really one of the big Talmudic Chachamim in the city who kept a very low profile. Uh, but you have gems, mamash pearls of wisdom there. Probably something that's relevant to the modern era is the Chida's record in his book, Shem HaGadolim, under the letter Resh for Rabbanit. Uh, he mentions there, I don't remember the exact number, maybe some 32, 33 Rabbaniot, uh, Torah scholars that were women that he came across either in his travels or the books of, his, of theirs that he had studied, Chidushim on the Talmud, Chidushim on Tosafot, uh, halachic things he learned from them or saw in their name, mentioned in their name. There are some very interesting things that he writes there in the entry of Rabbanit for a different shiu in a different time. How did I get to the Shem Gedolim? Because the Chida wrote many books. One of those books he wrote was the Petach Enayim. Patach Enayim, I actually don't know which Nikud uh, is proper there. In this book on the Talmud, the Chida, and I wrote down his words word for word, the Chida quotes from the Maharash Sirio, spelled in Hebrew, Sirilio, Samech Yud Reish Yud Lamed Yud Vav. Uh, most likely it's a double L in Spanish, which often makes a U sound, but I don't know that I'm correct. I see it in Hebrew, not in Spanish. Anyone know who the Maharash Sariyo was? Have you heard of his name? Because you've heard of his friends and his rabbis. Maharash. I believe his name is Rabbi Shalomo Sirilio. Maharash with a shin at the end. So Moreno Harav, Shalomo, I believe is his name, Serenio. I don't know if I'm thinking of the same, the same sage, but I've, I've seen something similar in, in my studies. There might be a different person though. Maybe think of Maharsha. But that would be a different person. Maharash Serenio, uh, he was a Spanish Chacham who was very famous in, in Spain ended up after the expulsion. So we, we know that he lived in, through the expulsion because in his introduction to his commentary in the Talmud Yerushalmi, in the Jerusalem Talmud, he mentions the, having been a survivor of the Spanish expulsion. He leaves there, finds himself in, I forget the name of his rabbi who was in, in uh, Spain. I don't know, it could be Aharon. I don't remember his name. Uh, he finds himself in Saloniki, where he becomes a student of none other than a man by the name of Rabbi Yaakov Ibn Khabib. Who's that? You're studying his book. You better know who he is. Very good. He compiled the En Yaakov and wrote his own commentary on En Yaakov. That's what we're studying now. It's his. Uh, he had a son, Rabbi Lebvi Ibn Khabib. Uh, we studied a little bit about him too in the beginning classes of this. He became a student of his as well. He later makes Aliyah to Eretz Israel along with two other famous rabbinic personalities. One by the name of Rabbi Yosef Karo, otherwise known as Maran. And another one by the name of Rabbi Shalomo Halavi Al-Kavetz, who is the author of... Lechadudi, very good. The author of Lechadudi. In Israel, 
it does not seem that he took any formal position. So whereas Maran becomes the Avitadin, or other Chachamim take on Yeshivot, or whatever else may happen, um, really Maran more became Moshe Yeshiva, Avitadin a little less, that maybe happens later. Who was Avitadin and Tzfat at that time? Who's Maran's rabbi? Mari Berav, very good, Mari Berav. Rabbi Yosef, Mari Abuhav was also in that same time period, but the Mari Berav is the rabbi who tried to refound the Sanhedrin. Remember him? So this is that generation of Tzfat. Even though, even though he didn't have an official position, we see from the letters and the fact that he's quoted by so many people that he was a Torah personality that was very famous in Tzfat at the time, as well as he had students, he had Talmidim, so he was teaching Torah, though it may have not been in a formal office of, of Chacham or Rabbi or Dayan or whatever else it was that some of his colleagues had. He's very famous for a decision to try to lower, I don't want to say lower, but to shift the standard of Shechita in, in Tzfat you have a problem. People are very poor. The standards of Shechita and Sfat are following the Sephardic standards, which are very high. And uh, when he was in Saloniki, over there, the standards of Shechita were a little different. They relied on different opinions. I don't want to get into this right now, exactly what was going on. Uh, and he ultimately tried to make a push that for the sake of affordability, they should compromise on certain Kashrut standards that existed in Sfat at the time. They're saying, look at these great rabbis of Greece who did such things. Uh, ultimately, it didn't work. He was vetoed by Mahari Berav, who held down the fort and said, no way, I'm not on my watch. And that didn't happen, but he's known for a number of Piskei Halakha. This generation of Chachamim, I can recommend you a work, actually, if you'd like to know more about this generation. Uh, there's a work called, it's in English, maybe it's called In the Footsteps of Giants. I want to say that. It's written by Rabbi Yosef Biton. He's a graduate of our yeshiva in, uh, in New York. I think he's a rabbi in Great Neck. I met him once or twice in my life. I studied in yeshiva for a short period of time with his son. Um, he, I think it's called In the Footsteps of Giants. If somebody can Google search that for me very quickly, just put in his name and Giants and you'll come up with the title of his book. It's a very short book, but it includes a, a portrait of maybe 60 personalities of that generation of Geur Svarad. And he mentioned something very frightening in the introduction to that book. He says, these are the Chachamim who put their, their life on the line to save the Jewish people and the Torah of the Jewish people in an era where the world was out to destroy the Jewish people. And the Jewish people have forgotten not even what they wrote or what they taught. They've even forgotten their names, not maliciously, but out of an apathy towards the Chachamim who gave their lives for us. Maybe it's called Forgotten Giants. Maybe that's the name of the book, Forgotten Giants. Uh, something like that. One of you find it, you'll tell me. Nonetheless, Forgotten Giants? Yes. This, this work is a, it's a, it's just a place to start. It's nowhere to end. I'll give you an example of a chacham you'll find over there. Have you ever heard of the Zagut crater on the moon? Uh, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that properly. Z-A-G-O-U-T. Yes, I see Pam nodding her head, yes. And rumor has it, and not rumor, it seems to be established, but I'm not a scientist to speak on their behalf. The Zagut crater is named after the one who was involved in discovering it, or at least named after somebody who contributed, probably not discovered it, but tr contributed tremendously to this area of research. His name was Rabbi Avraham Zakuto. 
Rabbi Avraham Zakuto was one of the great navigators in the generation of um, man by the name of Christopher Columbus. And most of the navigational equipment on board Christopher Columbus's ships that were put together and, and planned and programmed by none other than Rabbi Avraham Zakuto. Rabbi Avraham Zakuto was a professor, if I'm not mistaken, in the University of Barcelona, but don't hold me to it, in one of the Spanish universities of his time. Uh, so he was one of our great Chachamim. He wrote a very famous book that has been translated into English. Why? I have no idea why someone translated it English, but I'm very happy that it has. In fact, it's so easy to get in English, but almost impossible to get in Hebrew. So I only own an English version of this book. I don't own a Hebrew version of this book. Uh, it's the book of lineage. I think that's how they translated it. But if you look it up, Rabbi Abraham Zakuto, uh, essentially it's like the Rambam's introduction to the Mishneh Torah, where he lists all the generations uh, between the, the Moshe Rabbeinu and us. But he goes in, in detail about each Chacham and who they were and what they lived. And it's a very thick work. And the person who did it, I don't know who this is, did a good job at putting footnotes and side notes and all kinds of uh, things. They reprinted it in a nice print. It's one of those works of Chachmei Sfarad, the early ones, that has been translated into English and is very easily accessible. You could probably get it for 25 bucks on Amazon. Uh, something that I recommend highly that you add to your library. I got carried away. Marash Sariyo. He tells us, From when do we read Shema Ba'aravin? He says the word me'ematai is unusual. And rather me'ematai is coming to allude to a pasuk that says, Matai avo Elohim, when will I merit to see the face of Hashem? It's a question. Me'ematai, from when will I merit to say Shema Yisrael? That's the word. It's a play on a pasuk, which is, we're not asking from what time to say Shema Yisrael, but from when do I have the opportunity to say Shema Yisrael? It's the frame of mind in which we have when we perform this mitzvah. Now it's uh, almost Shabbat. Everyone asks, when is Shabbat over? When is Shabbat over? When is Shabbat end? When is Shabbat? Why do you care when Shabbat ends? If I wasn't concerned about what time people do Havdanah, and maybe they do too early, I wouldn't even put the time Shabbat ends in our Kila email. Who cares? I hate Havdanah. Hear from what I tell you now? I hate Havdanah. It ends my Shabbat. Of course I have to do it. It's a mitzvah. So what do I do? So I do it. You'll notice I always try to do Havdalah as late as I can. Shabbat, why were you running away from Shabbat? Where are you running to? Now Shabbat ends at 5.24. Two months ago Shabbat ended at 8.34. So why does Shabbat have to end at 5.30? So it ends. Of course it ends. Halachically Shabbat ends. But where are you running to? Who uses their Motzei Shabbat for anything productive? Shabbat you use at least for something productive. With your family, you learn Torah, you talk to people, you're nice to people, you remember that you have a life, you forget about your problems. So why not extend it a little bit more? Not because I'm not here, Rabbeinu Tam, this, that, not, forget all of that. Uh, not, not about that nonsense. Here I'm talking about regesh, uh, emotions. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to be connected to something. Arav Peretz, I once, uh, I don't remember what it was, we were walking together and maybe he told me something like his wife wants him to change his kippah. She says it's looking old. She doesn't like how it looks on his head. I think that was the, the prompt of the conversation. And I said, no, Sarah Peretz, why don't you do it? Some one of the Bachulim around us said, oh, Arav, you know, everything Sarah, your, your wife tells you, you should listen to her voice. That's what Hashem says to Abraham. Arapelet says, no, my wife's name is not Sarah. I don't have to listen to everything she tells me. I said, Arav, what, what's, the, what's the stubbornness? Why don't you want to change your kippah? He said, do you know how many mitzvot I did with this kippah? 
Do you know how many tefillot I did with this kippah on? He said, do you know how many times I, I, I woke up with this kippah? I, I said, I don't want to get rid of it so fast. That may sound funny, like why are you being attached to something? But a regesh is a healthy thing that a person should have emotions. There are people who wish to reduce Judaism to some cold, calculated uh, thing that has no, uh, no heart in it. But it's not just uh, here. There are other places where you could think of, of such ideas. Uh, by the way, I just once saw a story. Min Astama was written by the generation right after Rabbi Nachman of Bresta. He had a talit, and at a certain point in his life, he gave his talit to somebody else. And when he gave the talit to somebody else, he said, you should know, it looks like an old talit to you. But if you know how many tears I cried in this talit, you wouldn't treat this talit like something, random object in the street. It's a special talit. Now I'll tell you, I'm a little bit on the opposite side of the spectrum. Sometimes I'm guilty of this. Chacham of Yosef, Shalom, would complain why all the religious people he knows, they wear dirty talitot. All of them have dirty talitot. They're yellow, they're fraying, they have stains from last week's kiddush on them. He said it's disgusting to him. Who else wears such ugly clothing in public? A talit. Get a new talit every year. Get a new talit every six months. How often do you change your shirt? You, you tell people you haven't changed your talit in 16 years? You can imagine what they'll think if you tell them that. For you it's normal because all the other people do the same thing. But at a certain point in time, he saw an avrech, a kolal guy sitting with the talit and took it off of him. And he said, it's a chilul Hashem for you to wear this talit anymore. So I'm not here taking away from either side of this conversation. Rather, regesh, it's a talit, not some talit. So you're not wearing it anymore. Keep it somewhere. Put it somewhere. Of course, a talit. But it did something with you. You prayed with this talit. You did leda sedeh with this talit. Yom kippurim, lechayelite shukati with this talit. Don't just throw it away. When you take off your tzitzit at night, people just, I remember yeshiva, throw their, take your tzitzit. Put it down somewhere. In general, that's how you should take off things. Put them down nicely. But, but it's something you did mitzvot with. Take off tefillin. Take off tefillin. If you ever saw an old tamikham, an old one, not from today's world, an old tamikham, and I'll tell you this, not just by Sephardim, they, they in Israel, they make fun of the religious, uh, even the traditional Sephardim, they call them the menashkei ha-mezuzot, the mezuzot kissers. I'm proud to be a mezuzah kisser. I'm afraid of you. But what's the issue with the, the kissing mezuzah? I saw once a tanikham, Rabbi Herman Neuberger, it was a rabbi that I used to pray in front of in Baltimore. It was a German chacham from Germany, mamash from Germany. Even in his old age, when he could barely move, you should see how he took off his tefillin. You should see how he took off his tefillin. He took it off, like they mentioned in the poskim, with your left hand, because you don't want to take it off with your right hand. You don't want to show like you're rushing to take it off. He kissed it. Do you know how many times he kissed it? From when he put it on, to put it off, and this wasn't, I'm not telling you about some Hasidic Rebbe who is very uh, uh, spiritually inclined. I'm talking about a German Tamir Chacham. It was a Yeki. Arvid starts at 9.13. Arvid started at 9.13 on the second clock. On the second hand, my mash like that. But he kissed the Stephenian. You see people, how they take off their tefillin today. They're talking to their friends, they're checking the news. Uh, they're, oh, I don't know what they're doing with it. They're speaking Lashon Hala with each other. They're not even thinking about their tefillin. They're happy to take it off. It's hurting their hand. 
I once came across one of the writings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Avshanom. In his book, he has a small book called Hayom Yom. Different scattered teachings. It doesn't follow any normative order. Different scattered Hasidic ideas that he records. He mentions how in the town of Lubavitch, when they would take off their talit and tefillin, they would learn Tanakh while they did that. And in that few minutes, they took off their talit and tefillin, they folded it up, they would finish a chapter of Tanakh. And like that, they finished the whole Tanakh. I think that my Zoom just died one second. Heber, can you hear me? Heber, can you hear me? No. Yes, no. On which screen can you hear me? This one. Okay. I got it. Yitzchak, COVID has to end because I can't do this without you over here. <laughs> okay, back to what I was saying. We didn't even learn the, the Mishnah today. I got carried away. If I were to make a bumper sticker, I would say, what do you do when you take off your tefillin? What do you do? When you, when you do any, anything that's connected with the mitzvah, the regesh, there's an emotion that has to be there. We'll get there. B'tzad Hashem. Matai avo Elohim. When will I merit to see the face of HaKadosh Baruch When will I... Why do I care when Shabbat ends? I don't care. Shabbat doesn't have to end. I'm here. I'm in Shabbat. Shabbat ends when it ends. Whenever my kid asks, when Shabbat ends? Whenever it ends. That's a good answer. Like that. So let's look together. The Ben Ishchai. I gave you a printout from a book called Ben Yehoyada. The cover page on your PDFs should look like this. It's in the Google Classroom. So... If you're in the Ganata classroom and you click on class work, you want to look for something, it says Ben Yehoyada. If you look at last week's Zoom invitation, you'll have it over there as well. So you see where I am on the second page of that PDF? In the left column, there's a paragraph that starts with the words, you see that? Have it? Okay. The Benish Chai writes the following words. If you have the PDF, it should be on the second page. It says, Ulafi Pshat. You see that? It's the first, it's like the second paragraph in the left column. Ulafi Pshat Hamishnah. I'll find it. Thank you. Okay. So Benishchai writes the following. After last week giving us all kinds of Kabbalistic teachings of the Mishnah, 
He now writes, According to the Pshat of the Mishnah, now don't make the mistake I made. In which I think the Venishchai is now going to tell you something according to the Pshat. That's not a correct thing. <laughs> that was my mistake. The Venishchai is now going to tell you, Pshat of Mishnah, everything I told you before had to do with nothing that's actually written in the text. Every word was, until Chatzot, Chatzot doesn't mean midnight, Chatzot means splitting of mems into Dalits. That, that's not Pshat. He says, now I'm going to tell you something based on the literal meaning of the text. But what I'm telling you is not necessarily pshat. That's something you have to... So I'm going to explain the literal... I'm going to explain the words that are written on the page, but not necessarily in their literal sense. Watch what the Ben Shekhan does. It's a beautiful midrash. According to the pshat of the Mishnah, it appears to me, b'siyata Almost every chidush of the Ben Yishchai starts with the words of B'siyat HaDishmaya, with Hashem's help, with Hashem's help, with Hashem's help, everything to do with Hashem's help. If the Ben Yishchai needed Hashem's help, we most definitely need His help. Ta'am ha'depatach b'mitzvat k'yashmat khila. Says the Ben Yishchai, I have a reason for why the Mishnah begins with the mitzvah of k'yat shma first. Think of all the topics the Mishnah could have started with, why k'yat shma? Do you remember we gave like seven or eight answers for why Kiryat Shema comes first? Now he's going to add to that. What, what is it? There's a Midrash in Bereshit. Abba Amar, Abba says, From here, Am Yisrael merited for the, to the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema, the reading of Shema. What was the story? Where do we get the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema? At that moment, when Yaakov Avinu knew that he was dying, he was leaving this world. He called his 12 children. Which parasha is this? Very good. We're coming close. He comes and he asks them to all gather around. Amar lehem, he tells them, Shimu el avichem shabashamayim. Listen to your father in heaven. Shema yesh bilvavchem machloket al kadosh b'achu. He asks them, Do you have any machloket, any complaints, anything that you're complaining about about al kadosh b'achu? Any disputes with him? Do you have any problems with al kadosh b'achu? Amrulo, they told him, Shema Yisrael, Avinu, listen to us, our father Yisrael. Just like in your heart, Yaakov, our father, there is no argument, no dispute, nothing that you're arguing with the Kadosh Bachu about. Just like that's true. The only things that are in our heart are the words Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. It's very interesting. So the Midrash plays on this word, Shema Yisrael Avinu. Listen, Yisrael, our father. Shema Yisrael Avinu, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Here's a conversation. The conversation is, listen to us, our father. You think that maybe we have a complaint against HaKadosh Baruch That's not true. We don't have a complaint against HaKadosh Baruch Just like in your heart, there's no complaint against HaKadosh Baruch In our hearts, there's nothing. Rather, the only thing in our heart, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And at that moment, he said in his mouth, Baruch, Shem Kevod Malchuto, Leonam Ve. 
It's a very emotional parting between Yaakov Avinu and his children. Rabbi Berachia, the Rabbi Chelbo B'Shem Rav Shmuel, they say, Hu hadavar sh'Yisrael mashkimim umar, here it says, mashkimim umarvim b'chol yom v'omrim, this is what the Jewish people wake up every morning and go to sleep every night. And they say, Shema Yisrael Avinu, listen to us, Yisrael, our father, from the tomb of the patriarchs, from the double cave in Hebron. That same thing that you commanded us, to believe in one God, not to complain about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We still believe that way. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Every time a Jewish person, according to this Midash, says the word Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael, Hashem is our God, we're not only speaking to the Jewish people, Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, Avinu Mimarat HaMachbelah, listen to us Yisrael, our father in the tomb of the patriarchs. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, we still believe like you commanded us yesterday. That Hashem is our God, that Hashem is one. Ad kan This is the word of the Midrash. Anyone ever heard this Midrash before? Yeah, it's a famous Midrash about Shema Israel and Baruch Hashem Kivon Machdam Let's see now what the Beit Chai is going to do with this Midrash. Nimtza, we see from here. Kiryat Shema Zachinu Ba Mikoach Yaakov Avinu Alav Shalom. So it turns out that the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema, of reading Shema Yisrael, we receive that in the merit of who? In the merit of Yaakov Avinu, Alav Shalom. Alav Shalom. You see this word, Alav Shalom? Alav Shalom, for some reason, became like the less respectable version of Zichonol Ivracha, for whatever reason. People, Alav Shalom, though, when I was, I was once reading a, a book, written by a, a book, an article, or something from a, an Islamic preacher. And every time he mentioned the name of somebody, he would write in capital letters, P-B-U-H. I thought to myself, what word is this? Peba, 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 peba. What is he talking about? And then, I, ah, peace be upon him. Alav hashalom. That's our word. What is your word? Alav hashalom. That's our, that's our word. If the Arabs are not afraid to say, the Muslims are say, alav hashalom. Why are we afraid? Don't say Moshe Rabbeinu. He's your friend. You went to school with him. Moshe Rabbeinu alav hashalom. Don't say Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu alav hashalom. Get used to saying alav hashalom, alav hashalom. That's our way to mention people. Ve'elav anachnu umrim. And it's to him that we are saying Shema Yisrael avinu ki Adonai Eloheinu hu Adonai Echad. That our God is one God. Ve'yadua and it's known. It's known to who? Not to me, not to you, but it's known to the Mekubalim. Ki Rabbeinu HaKadosh, that Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, the author of the Mishnah, Hayanitzotz Yaakov Avinu, was a spark of the soul of Yaakov Avinu. I told you already last week. We do Ben Ishchai, and the Ben Ishchai quotes Kabbalah. It's, it's a different discipline than the world in which I was raised. But I will tell you like this. Nitzotz uh, is not the same thing as what you might have heard of a Gilgul. I don't know the difference. You have to ask your resident Kabbalist. If your resident Kabbalist is not a con artist, meaning somebody you could talk to who's not going to steal your money or isn't doing all kinds of Averot, the real Mikubal. This Mikubal will explain to you the difference between a Gilgul, which is a full force reincarnation, and Nitzotz. A Nitzotz is, is if I had to use, uh, let's say, uh, biological terms, I look at my children, and my children have different character traits. 
Some of them are distinctly mine. Some of them are distinctly my wife's. All the good ones, of course, come from me. But the rest of my wife's also. And then there's the character traits they have on their own. Every child has their own teva. So this is not a copy of me. It's not a reincarnation of me. It's not a copy-paste. It's a person who has connection to them. There's, there's a force inside of them which comes from somewhere. This is a nitzot. There's some kind of nitzot of Yaakov, of Inu, of Shalom, inside of Rabbi Udanasi. There's a connection of his soul. There's overlapping personalities in a soul level between Rabbi Udanasi and Yaakov, of Inu. And that's why we always refer to him as Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Hanasi is Rashi Tevot, is the acronym for Nitzotz Shel Yaakov Avinu. The spark of Yaakov Avinu. And now you can understand why does Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi mention the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema first? Because this mitzvah is his mitzvah. Who gave us Kiryat Shema? Yaakov Avinu. So when Yaakov Avinu's spark in the world comes to give us a Mishnah, the first Mishnah that he's going to teach us will be about the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema. The reason? Because this is his mitzvah. This is mine. I'm giving this to you. The Gaon Chida writes in his book, Petach Hinaim, Yan, Hayan Nitzotz Yaakov Avinu, Lachen Patach Bekriyat Shema Darvit. And because Yaakov Avinu has a Nitzotz of himself inside of Rabbi Yudan Nasi, that is why Rabbi Yudan Nasi chose to begin the Mishnah with Kriyat Shema of the evening. Why? What is he adding? What's the Chida adding here? There's a question that we asked that we never really answered. We answered it a few times, but. What's the question here? The, the Belish Chai already told you that the reason we started with Kiyat Shema is because Yaakov, uh, the Rabbi Udanasi is a spark of uh, Yaakov Vinu. So what's the Chida coming to add here? Yan Hayan Nitzotz Shel Yaakov Avinu. Lachen patach bekriyat shema de, what's that word? Darvit. He's coming to answer for us why the evening shema, why not the morning shema? We know why Yaakov Avinu has a connection to the shema. And therefore we know that that's why Rabbi Yudanasi, according to Ben Ishchai, quotes, uh, starts with the shema. But why the evening shema? Why not the daytime shema? So he comes to tell you the answer. Because we know that of the three prayers that we pray each day, Abraham, he established which tefillah? Shacharit. Yitzchak established Mincha, and Yaakov established Arvit. In fact, if you ever say the tefillah, as many Sephardim say before Arvit, the Shem whatever you know what you're saying when you say that, that's already up to you to discuss with yourself. But at least the part, I am saying Tefillat Arvit Shetiken Yaakov Avinu Alav Shalom. I am saying the Tefillat Arvit that Yaakov Avinu, he was the one who established this Tefillat. So the reason why he started with Kirat Shema is because he's a spark of Yaakov Avinu. But the reason why he started with Kirat Shema Shal Arvit is because the Arvit prayer is the prayer of Yaakov Avinu. And therefore the Shema of the Arvit prayer is the Yaakov of the Yaakov Avinu.
That's why he starts the whole Mishnah there. Ad kan Until here is what he actually writes. Now says the Benish Chayim. Vadain and Tam Zemit Yashev Shapil. But still, this reason doesn't sit well with me. Kitifila lechud, ukriach malechud. The fact that Yaakov Avinu established the evening prayer, but Shema Yisrael is not part of the evening prayer. The evening prayer is Amida. When we say Yaakov Avinu, he established the Arvit prayer. That's referring to the Amida, the what you call the Shemona Yisrael. But when it comes to the actual Shema, what does it have to do with anything? But now it makes sense based on what we said. And we've sweetened the reason of the Chidah. Because really Shema belongs to Yaakov Avinu. And the reason why Rabbi Yudanasi chose the evening one, not the morning one, because the evening prayer was started by Yaakov. This is a borrowed term. It's a phrase that both from here and from here he will be praised. Meaning that there's two reasons. There's a reason for why we start with Arvit and there's a reason why we start with Shema. But both of those are connected to Yaakov Avinu. And because Rabbi Yudan Asi has a spark of them inside of him, then that is exactly why he started the Mishnah in this place. No, what do you think? He seems to understand the Chida is saying that the reason why Yaakov Avin, why, why Rabbi Yudanasi starts with Kirach Arvit is because Arvit is the Tfilah of Yaakov Avinu. But the Chida doesn't mention this whole thing about his connection to Shema. And so the Benish Chai is adding the connection to Shema. He's saying together with the Chida's connection to the Tefillah, so now we can understand why it's not just the prayer of the evening or the Shema, but it's the Shema evening prayer. It's all together one package. Yeah, that's a very good question, Yosef. Thank you. Let's do it together. One more piece, if we can. And then we'll call it a night, B'zad Hashem. And next week we'll get into the writings of Agav Kuk. Just one short paragraph here. Yes, just see someone raising their hand. No? Pam, are you raising your hand? Good, that's the part that all of us missed and didn't quite get. Um, yeah. That has to do with, with Kabbalistic understandings of souls being connected to each other. Like the famous book, Sha'ar uh, Gilgulim of Rabbi Chaim Vital, in which he shows you all kinds of rabbis and which souls they have a part of. And um, you'll find the Mekumalim make use of this a lot in explaining all kinds of things. So if you look, for example, look, for example, the commentary of the Benish Chai. On the story of, oh, you got me now to a good place, but it's a different shiur in its own right. Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi Udanasi has a very good friend. Do you remember who his very good friend is? Uh, Antoninus Aurelius. Yeah, Antoninus. Uh, the, the, who is Antoninus? Oh, 
like yeah, he wasn't a classmate of Rebbe Yudah Nasido, so how did they get become friends? Of the break, because of the break. So the murder, the famous story of Alter on one foot. Uh, the Romans had made a rule against Jewish people having beritot, uh, circumcisions. But Rebbe Yudah father said it's not going to have a chance that my son is not going to have a brit minah. And so he circumcised his son anyways. Somebody went and told the Romans about him, and because he was such an influential person, they decided instead of just killing him on the spot, they would bring him to Rome for his trial. On his way there, him and his wife stayed in an inn. And in that inn was the wife of the Roman emperor. And she had just given birth to a baby. Whatever happened, she heard the story, and she told the mother of Rabbi Udayanasi, take my baby. His father has never met him yet. He's just born. He doesn't know what he looks like yet. Uh, take him, say, this is my son. He's not an Avabrit Milah. And then on your way back, we'll swap the babies again. And you'll take your baby and you'll live. And that's what he does. Rabban Gamliel takes the Roman emperor's baby. He takes him to the Roman emperor. Says, here's my baby. Look, does he have a Brit Milah? No. The Roman emperor ends up executing the man who uh, slandered, slandered him. And on the way home, Rebu Danasi's father switches the babies back. And ever since then, these two children had a very close connection. According to the Mekubalim, though, the Gemara mentions all kinds of things. There were tunnels underneath their homes. They would study Torah together at night. Uh, there's a very unique story. I'm, I'm really getting carried away. There's a very unique story in the, over there, which Rabban, uh, Rabbi Yudah Nasi and, and Antoninus are learning Torah together. Now, according to many Chachamim, he actually converted to Judaism, and he was a student of Rabbi Yudah Nasi. But uh, listen, you do with this information whatever you want to do with it. And at a certain point, there's an awkward encounter there in which Rabbi Yudanasi says, listen, I need to go to bed. I need to go to bed. And Antonino says, Rabbi, step on my back. And he says, step on your back? He says, yeah, step on my back so you can get into your bed. Use me as a step stool. And anyone remember what Rabbi Yudanasi answers him? Lav orach ara. It's not derch eretz. It's not proper etiquette for me to step on you. And at that point, Antoninus looks at him and says, Rabbi, do I, and I don't remember the whole Gemara in front of me right now. He says, Rabbi, do I have a portion in the world to come? And he says, you do. And that's where the encounter ends. The Ben Ishchai explains this whole story as follows. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi has a spark of who? Yaakov Avinu. If Antoninus is the epitome of Rome, who is this Antoninus? He has a spark of? Esav. Very good, of Esav. And really, he's the Roman emperor. Rabbi Yudanasi is the Jewish king. I mean, for all intents and purposes, even if you don't buy into the concept of Gilgulim in terms of status or offices that are held, this story can be understood this way anyways. Antoninus, who now knows who he really is, remembers the words in the Torah which promise, Verav Yavod Sa'ir. That the older brother will serve the younger brother. You remember this? And does that ever happen to our knowledge in the Chumash? Not to our knowledge. It says the Ben Ishchai, and by the way, it could be the Ben Ishchai does not say this in the Gemara. It could be the Ben Ishchai says this over there by the Pasuk, about Vavya Vodzeya. Now I'm remembering it could be over there. The Ben Ishchai writes, what was happening here? These two people were learning Torah. It came time for Rabbi Yudanasi to go to bed. Antoninus thinks this is an opportunity for me to finally fulfill the word of the Torah which says that the older one will serve the younger one. 
Rabbi Udanasi step on me. Let Yaakov finally step on Esav. And Rabbi Udanasi doesn't tell him, no, I shouldn't do that because I shouldn't step on you. Or, what does he tell him? It's not? Derech Eretz. What does that word Derech Eretz mean? It's not Derech Eretz. In this earth, in this realm, in this place, it's incorrect for me to do that. In Shamaim, yes. In Shamaim, it makes sense. I step on you. That's so why he doesn't say no. He doesn't say, the word is chosen. I cannot step on you in this world. It's improper for me to do that. At that point, Antoninus gets worried. His worry is, but what about the next world? Have I fulfilled my obligation for the next world? And he tells him, yes. Yes. I mean, we fixed this here. We've done a tikkun of sorts to fix whatever problem happened before. And so, yes. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, well, you make, you're making me think, and I, I don't want to embarrass myself here, sounds stupid, but the, I'm thinking about Yaakov, you know, the whole concept of Azimov so below, the Kabbalistic concept. And uh, I'm also thinking about it in times in terms of, you know, as we go forward in the, uh, the whole thing about the, the morning and evening sacrifice. Uh, after the sacrifice, I think about Perkei it talks about you know the, the three rabbis that talk about the, the essence of Judaism and the final rabbi says the essence of Judaism is the morning and afternoon sacrifice. Uh, is that a Kabbalistic idea in this context or am I reaching big time there? Uh, so I don't know that it's fair to say you're reaching big time. All I would say is that if you could flesh it out for me better, I would love to hear you out and then see. But there are a few Kabbalistic commentaries on Prekavot, for example. So... If you would look into them and see if they, if, if they made this connection. Think, think it through, and then maybe you yeah. could, it could even be a recording. Send it to me and let me hear it out. I want to hear how it plays out in your okay. mind. Okay? That's fair. Yeah, thank you. So now we're back to here. So Pam, you asked from where do we know that Yaakov and Yabiwadatsi have this connection? According to the Mekubalim, this is a, a standard understanding. Now, like I said earlier, I think that in general, you don't have to buy into the concept of sparks and gilgulim. Just the fact of the office. Rabbi Nasi represents what is Am Yisrael. He is right now the leader of the Jewish people. He is Yaakov Avinu. He is Rosh Shiftei Yisrael. He's the head of the tribes of Israel. And so even in that regard alone, there could be enough connection to Yaakov Avinu. He inherited an office that has this, this title to it. Uh, but obviously, according to Mekubalim, this fits in much, much better. It's a much tighter... Uh, fit. Let me read one more Benishchai with you. I promised you already when we started studying Agadah that Agadah doesn't stop anywhere. So there's no clear package, just a little box you can just put Agadah in. Once you start thinking through ideas of Agadah, you ultimately will find yourself applying all these thoughts to other places and this will never end. And that's probably why not many people care to study. It's, it's very burdensome and like, there's no, not just burdensome, it's, it's hard. Not just because it doesn't end, because you never know where it starts, you never know where it ends. There's no clarity, there's a lot of stuff, but I, in the dust that you shake up, there's some gold sparks in there. And that's, I think, where, where, what we're aiming for. I mean, I've kept you for an hour. The next piece I want to do is important, but I don't want to. 
I don't want to rush through it. So Bezalat Hashem, next week, we're going to do the last, next piece of the Vedish Chai. It could be that we'll move off Harav Kuk to one more week. That's not a problem. Don't worry. It's all going to be connected with each other. Uh, this next piece is about Tehuma, the concept of Chibuv Mitzvah. Uh, we'll, we'll spend some time. Maybe I'll give a shiur next week on this idea of Chibuv Mitzvah. I just feel like right now it's getting late and I don't want to send everyone off to bed too late.